Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot CEO. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Lads, we're back. Yep. Hi, guys. Still here. How are you both? Tired. It's a crisp Sunday afternoon. It is. Um, I'm guessing you're tired because you stayed up watching UFC, Alex. Mm-hmm. It's a long match. Yeah, it was. It, I don't even remember what time it finished, but uh, uh, I didn't go to bed right after. Obviously, you were, you were just too hyped after after McGregor got knocked out. You're like, what's going on here? No, it was uh, it was fun. I always forget the main event is like always at one o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like boxing, right? Yeah. yeah, I think it was on around like twelve, twelve thirty when it started, but it was. A lot of streams of it. People no, no streams. No streams. Don't want Dana White listening. Because no, I no. guarantee you, no, he listens don't to use the streams. two-on-one podcast, I'm obviously. Not we were listening to watching any streams. I'm just saying I saw a lot of people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Streams. Of course, of course. Do people no still streams. play the UFC games? I always liked those. I, 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 yeah, they were, they're fun. Those are really now, fun. I didn't get the latest one. I got I got the the, the mm. last one, the, the last one they put out, UFC 3, but I bought it when it was on sale on purpose um it was fun it's fun beating the crap out of cpu if dana white is listening no I'll none listen. of us have the game we will yeah. fight conor mcgregor for five million dollars 20 million dollars i thought we agreed for 20 million dollars i would do it for 10 daniel would do it for 20 alex would do it for 50 i'll just do it for the sponsor ufc sponsoring the show yeah dedication that is dedication yes. right there okay <laughs> that is Real dedication. I like uh because I haven't seen him a while and for a while, and then in this because I guess I don't follow him on social media, but you know I liked he uh he went with the Daniel haircut, the March <laughs> Daniel haircut. I like it. Yeah, the Daniel haircut. Yeah. He shaved his head. Uh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hockey, and we should open up. You know, throughout the show, we're going to talk about the Leafs. We're going to talk about the Habs wrapping up great series against Western Conference teams. The Canadians probably have some of the most exciting news we've started to see in the season with the Canucks. The Leafs, on the other hand, boring games versus the Oilers. What the hell we'll happened? Yes, then the Caps, six zero, leaving Sportsnet. But we have to start off with the second biggest piece of news. Not that the Canadians are first in the league. We'll talk about that later. Um, unfortunately, though, they did not get Pierre-Luc Dubois. It might actually be a good thing. Instead, the Winnipeg Jets have acquired Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third-round pick in 2022. And Mike, I forgot to put my freaking computer on Do Not Disturb. God damn it. Anyway, uh, the Jets acquired Dubois and a third in 2022 in exchange for Jack Roslevic, who signs a two-year deal with the Blue Jackets, and the big piece, Patrick Laine, goes the other way, guys. Now, I see this trade two different ways, and we can get to the second part of it in a second. But first, is this not, Daniel, the definition of a trade that it is going to take a few years just to see who won it? Yeah, I think so. Um, What they kind of said were 
the Jets kind of really took a bit of a loss here in terms of what they gave up because Rosovic's already a known commodity along with Patrick Laine. But, you know, they were, I think it was um, James Myrtle who said, like, at this point, they already had their hands tied. They had to do something. They had to get this over with. And I think that for the return, it's pretty good. But in terms of how these two players are going to adjust to new environments, it's like what you said. It's a wait and see. We'll see how Line kind of goes with John Tortorella in that new system. If he could be that guy, I know they have Max Domi, so they'll try to figure out some chemistry there. And then with Pierre Luc Dubois, kind of in a way goes to a place he would want to go more preferably. Like you know, it's not a big city, but it is Canada, and he can play with some pretty skilled guys. I I think that he's not going to be asked to be that guy anymore, but he could still develop into like a one-two punch. And I like that Paul Stasny is there to kind of give some security at the center position if Dubois moved to the left side. You know what? Um, looking at really fit, we can talk about in a second. Um, Alex, what I think about a lot in this trade is this could be a disaster for both teams in a couple of years because it's really the – Patrick Laine wanted to play with an elite centerman. And yeah. right now it is an unknown in Domi and Texier. And is Dubois, Domi even can, a center? He is, yes. Okay. For right them, the, but he okay. was, was not getting a ton of ice time. Well, right. he's going to have to now. Right. But the contracts here, in a few years, this is legitimately a trade that come even looking at Dubois, looking at how he can sign the extension in Winnipeg starting in the summer. This trade is not going to go away for a no. while now it's we always look no. at like drew and circuit chat we can be like we can keep your eye on that for a couple years but this trade you can just kind of say but at the front of it you see a defenseman you see a skilled forward but this <clears> is, <throat> is seriously we can look at this season however we want but until these guys sign new deals with their teams yeah they, you're right i i think strictly on paper if you if you want to look at it that way, um, the I think you can make the argument that the Columbus Blue Jackets came out on top because I think at the moment they might have gotten the better player plus another player, right? They got Laine who can score 30 goals in his sleep plus Jack Roslovic. To be honest, I don't know much about Jack Roslovic, but he's an NHL player, right? Like, I don't necessarily think that's, that's, um, that's really a question, but I think the tides can really turn more for Winnipeg than they can for Columbus, because at the moment there's, what does Columbus have that Patrick Laine was looking for? Like the one reason he wanted the move was because he wanted to play with a center. Like, like you were saying, like, who has he been playing with? Statsny, he played with. He played with Kevin Hayes. That that didn't really work. Andrew Cobb. Andrew Cobb, and, and they were and Paul Maurice for whatever reason does doesn't like to play him consistently with Mark Shifley. In my opinion, he should. That's a different story. He goes to Columbus now, and he's playing with who? Max Domi or Alex Texier? Yeah, it's probably gonna be Max Domi, but. Like, sorry, I don't know if there's much of a – like, there's an improvement. I think Max Domi could be a better player 
or better fit for him than maybe other centers he's played with, but it's nowhere near the level of Mark Shifley. Mm-hmm. You know, something that, sorry, were you about to say something? No, I just was going to look at the Winnipeg side, but I can do it after. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. We can, we, with, we're going to spend time on this. With, with, with Dubois in Winnipeg, I think one of the reasons he wanted to leave obviously was to be in a bigger market. And, and I think, I think he's done that. And I think when the trade happened, there was a lot on Twitter saying, well, he just went to the Ohio of Canada, but it's Canada. How many times, like how many times have we talked about that on this podcast where when you move from like Columbus to Winnipeg, it's a bigger market, no matter what, like, Watch a Jets game in the playoffs and you understand mm. why it's a it's a good market for a player to play in. Right. Like I I think because the city, I guess, is small compared to the other cities in Canada, there's the misconception that it's not a bigger market, but they care about hockey. Mm-hmm. There is a bigger fan base in Winnipeg that that cares about hockey. You can put it as the market size itself is small, but the fan dedication is hardcore. If we're right, NHL exactly. Expansion and and I think for Dubois, he leaves he leaves Columbus. Where was he playing with the best players? Not necessarily. He goes to Winnipeg, and he's gonna play. Let's say he plays on the second line, so it's Ehlers, Dubois, and let's even say Paul Statsny if Dubois doesn't, if Dubois is playing the wing when he he arrives. But after this year, let's say Paul Statsny leaves, and they think Cole Perfetti is ready. You're looking at the top six of Connor Shifley, Wheeler, Ehlers, Dubois, Perfetti. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really good top six. And and one thing that I think really slipped uh, slipped under everybody's eyes is that do you know whose father is a coach in the AHL for the Manitoba Moose? Pierre Luc Dubois. Pierre Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're looking at connections too, um, Jack Rosovic is a Columbus native. Apparently, Yermo Kekalainen was talking to the media for the trade. And saying that apparently anytime the Jets have had a conversation with Columbus, it's they've they've asked about Jack Roslovic. Um, so if we go on the assumption that you know Columbus and Line A can have a long-term relationship here, Daniel, um, do they need the sentiment? Yeah, but if if there are let's say Roslovic deter- like turns himself into a legit top six center, he'll have a top six opportunity in Columbus. They do need goal scoring, they have always have, and they do in this trade acquire the guy who I think I predicted him to win the Richard this year. And honestly, every year it was a bet to get 40, 50 goals. Mm. I, I, yeah, I think with what Columbus has, and like Alex said, what they have this year, because we don't know how the contract negotiations are going to go, that they have that prolific score, something to really replace arguably Artemi Panarin's production this season because with what the system they had going this year, I didn't think that they were going to be able to kind of sustain things with Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, situation. And the fact that they were able to get Jack Rocklevix as well, it's just, I think it's going to work well for them in a way that he did sign his extension. And, you know, this is a guy that 
two things. He's hungry. He wants to play. He's going to get top six minutes. But at the same time, I know it's going to take a bit of time with quarantine and him missing all of training camp. But with what Columbus is kind of given, I, I just, I'm kind of apprehensive aside from the goal scoring kind of thing, because Lionel is not known as a premier back checker. <laughs> yeah. And we have the Tortorella situation going right now. I know we're going to comment on that further, but it's just another thing for Columbus where it's the same theme. I've, I've, I feel like I've always been seeing with them is, you know, you had Rick Nash and, you know, that guy had an iron, like an iron will of patience with that team before he got traded. And then you had other guys coming in, Jeff Carter, you had Mary Gabrick, you had like Panarin, Duchesne, all these guys that, you know, you kind of come in and try to commit some long-term plan to them, but they never seem to stay no matter what, even when Columbus either, you know, gets these trades or they get those draft picks that eventually develop like Dubois. And it just, is something I see now where what do you, what can you do when these guys don't want to stay or, you know, you could give, you could give these extensions to guys like, like Savard or, you know, Atkinson or Bjorkstan, but you're not able to keep the top talent around. And it just makes me think about their defense right now, where, what, what, what are you selling to these guys? I don't know, but I mean, right now, at least they have him. Like, for now, he is an RFA at the end of the season. But right now, they do have him. And do you know what? Dubois, in his interview with Ron McLean on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, I want to get to some of the comments made about from everyone involved. Shevel Dayov, Jets GM, Kekaline and GM in Columbus, and then the head coaches respectively here. First, I want to, I want to talk about Tortorella. Because the clips I saw, he was so happy to have Line A. Maybe because he finally realizes he has some offensive help. But I really, really want to talk about Paul Maurice because there's a big parallel here. And what, what's, it feels like so much has happened to their last show because Dubois had his last game. Yeah. And it ended terribly. He yeah, had three minutes and disaster. 50. Yeah, three minutes and 55 ice time. Didn't play in the second or third period after probably the worst shift I have ever seen in hockey. Just no effort, lazy. I mean, I'm sure he's going to – he's probably embarrassed on that shift, or if he's not, he will be in a couple of years. It looks like both parties naturally – Columbus are happy to have a line. Why wouldn't they be? Um, Shevel Dayhoff was like, you know, we're proud of Patrick. Paul Maurice was talking so much about the professionalism of the line at the start of the year, and it was kind of the exact opposite of what happened with Dubois. His line A came in. He only got to play one game and he got hurt, but it was a fantastic mm-hmm. game. I think he had a pair of goals and three points, including the OT winner. And then Columbus had nothing to say about Pierre-Luc. And I don't think I blame them. And I think this is a time when I can ask both of you, and I'm going to ask Alex here because you and I were talking on text about this. Mm-hmm. What did you make of... of not just Pierre-Luc Dubois' effort in that last shift, his last game in Columbus, but towards his decision to say, you know what, you're sitting for the rest of this game. On that specific game, I think it was perfectly, like, it was very fair that John Tortorella benched him. Like, I, I, you didn't, I guess when I first heard that he was benched, no one really knew what had happened. It wasn't until the clip actually came out. Yeah. 
And after I saw the clip, I'm like, yeah, this is totally fair. Like that's uh, unacceptable. I don't, I don't think there's any coach out there who wouldn't have done the same thing. The issue I had previous that specific game though, is the whole mentality with John Tortorella say, well, I'm, I'm, I only want to play my, the players that want to be here, which is fine, but, but he's your star, right? He is your star. Who else on that team is a star? Other like forward wise, because I know, yeah, you got Jones and Wierenski as well, but forward wise, show me Cam Atkinson. I don't know. They aren't shiny players, but like, no, Domi is a star, and I don't think we talk about how good in your heart, Adam. But no, Domi, no, Domi is a star. Domi can't deny Domi is a star player. Yeah, but so to go out, but the thing is, he's new, right? He's new, and he got benched. He got didn't play that the same game that Dubois, the game before the Dubois benching. There was a long period of time where both Dubois and Domi didn't play last five minutes of the game they didn't see the eyes right so the the thing with that is well Panarin and Bobrovsky didn't want to be there either and I understand there are a different caliber of star but when you're when you have a team like Columbus where it really isn't you don't have many stars you don't it's this just the reality at the moment up front mm-hmm. you're gonna tell me you're not gonna play them because they don't want to be there. Now you're going to take a stand. Mm-hmm. Kekalainen, Kekalainen took an absolute risk in bringing in Matt Duchesne and Ryan Dezingle. And I th- I don't remember who he brought um, defense. Adam McQuaid. Adam McQuaid. Mm-hmm. He took a risk bringing all those guys in there to make that run, mm-hmm. which they did beat Tampa. But he didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I that's the mentality I don't agree with that that you don't play your guys because they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel. Yeah. Um, it is so odd that other than Dubai, the amount of times we've actually talked about Columbus the last few months, because they were that team for so long for me that I kind of felt like, yeah, they got a good player. We'll see what they can do with it but they always have those guys that they kind of end up re-signing like a Cam Atkinson. And the way they've kind of handled things where, like what Alex said, they don't have a lot of top-end talent and then they don't play Duba where even in the NBA, if a player, like I'm going to use the NBA for another example, even if a guy says he wants a trade request, like James Harden still played. And I think arguably that was a bigger case. But with Pierre-Luc Duba, it's just... It, it is an odd thing because coming out of the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles, he was, you know, touted as the next Jonathan Taves in terms of his two-way play, in terms of his leadership and demeanor as well. And that is something that they spoke highly of when he was drafted. And then for this thing to kind of fall out, it's just, I don't know which side was wrong, which side was right. We don't know what was kind of said, you know, in the locker room, what was going to say, but was what was said by opera management, but like, I agree. Like, if you were going to do something about this, if Columbus was thinking, let's try to remedy this, because there's been a lot of trade rumors that have been remedied within the organization, I'd figure you'd play him. But again, 
you know, he did play, and then that last shift, I, I don't know what happened there because that was a ho- that was horrible to watch. But I guess like I would like to know, like maybe eventually, what more of the details were. And knowing hockey, I'm not sure we are going to know it. Yeah. There's definitely something we're missing. And that was something Adam and I were talking about the night, I don't, a couple nights ago. Like there's something we're missing here that we don't know. I, I wonder that, you know, and I'm not going to lie to you. I, have, I haven't watched the Columbus game this season. I'm not, I'm not even going to claim that I, I have. Just I wonder because Panarin and Bobrovsky, they, it appeared they never stopped playing you know what i mean but there was the one incident that bobrovsky had gotten pulled and he had left the bench like he and he got suspended internally for it yeah and i wonder if the start of the season and i believe like what we imagine that pierre luc dubois has never on the ice been higher after the playoffs and i wonder in those early games that there was not not nearly as bad as that last shift against the lightning but if there was that missing from Pierre-Luc Dubois. I wonder if that is why Torts made the decision. Mm-hmm. Again, I can't say if that was it, but I'm just trying to play devil's advocate there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but, it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, credit to Columbus, because they came out after that game, and they beat Tampa yesterday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they lost in overtime in the game itself, but pulling out three or four points against the Stanley Cup champions... You know, a team that they have been, by the way, battling with the past couple of years. <laughs> Incredible. Which is odd. I don't know. It's just odd to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know That's what a rivalry to think about in hockey. Right. You know what my favorite rivalry, rivalry in the league is right now? What? The perceived Russian hatred between the, the Capitals and the NHL right now. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, the Washington Capitals are currently without four very important players. They've lost... Alexander Ovechkin may have heard of him, their best player in franchise history. Is he good? He's pretty good. Ilya Samsonov, their starting goalie. Evgeny Kuznetsov, arguably their best centerman. And probably the MVP of their playoff run, even though Ovechkin won the Smith. And Dmitry Orlov, a defenseman he feels like we never talk about, but is so important to that. Just team. so stable. Yeah. Just always there. So a top six centerman, their 50-goal guy, their goalie, and the top four defenseman. Now, why? So they were added to the COVID protocol absence list after reportedly they broke the rules, basically. They were apparently, players are not allowed to be in their hotel rooms with each other. And apparently the four of them were hanging out without masks. And then as a result, the Capitals, not only are these guys apparently going to miss at least four games, and I believe the first or at least one or two have already happened. They won the first one in the shootout, I believe. Um, The Caps are fined 100K. Ovechkin's wife um, put out a statement in both English and Russian, who was really very not happy about it. So kind. Yeah. Um, and we're, we'll get to Brad Marchand's stuff in a second here. But, you know, what? Jake, they, there was a clip of last night's Habs game, and it was Corey Perry and Jake Allen on the bench next to each other. And Corey Perry has the iPad, and he's looking at some player, right? And you see Jake Allen's there wearing a mask, and you're like, that's kind of weird, isn't it? First of all, it wasn't even over his nose. It was like, come on, Jake. But, you know, why is Jake Allen having to wear a mask? Apparently, Brendan Gallagher was talking about on the plane, the guys can't play cards together. Why? Oh. Mm-hmm. So, and I get it. 
where people are saying, why can't these guys who are hanging out on the bench and that shoulder to shoulder when they're not wearing masks, why can't they hang out in the hotel room? These are the rules that these guys agreed to in return to play. And it's a little rich, and I would be mad if this was the Canadians, trust me, but it is a little rich that the moment you come public with some issues about it is once you have been caught right, and not before the season. Am I wrong in thinking that, guys? No, that was my first thought, too. Like, yeah. it's the rule. Like, here's this is this was my thought process. Do I agree with everything? No, that's it. there's a lot of people who don't agree with everything. It's just the reality. Am I following the rules? Yes, because I don't want to get fined. Okay, I don't want to pay the fine. It's just I don't want to pay it. Okay, um, they had the opportunity to opt out, right? They mm-hmm. all had the opportunity to opt out based on the rules that were given. Imagine if Ovechkin opted out. <laughs> if they feel so strongly against these rules, they could have opted out. They could have, and not get paid. And actions have consequences. This is that. That's the action. That's the consequence. They could have at least tried to negotiate it. I mean, the Alex, rules. You, yeah, and Alex, you were saying no. this before the season started. There are rules, and if they don't follow them, they don't get right. to play. And yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. They could have negotiated. They they could have negotiated the rules, I guess. But after they were finalized, right? After they were finalized, and just before the season started, and they had the opportunity to opt out based on the rules that have all been agreed to by the PA and by the NHL. Mm-hmm. You, you know, this reminds me of and. Uh... This might be a reference to last night, but I feel like this is round two of Ovechkin versus COVID protocols because oh. we talked about it during the bubble where, you know, allegedly there was a partying in the bubble and the Capitals just did not care about what was going on. I feel like this is another thing that, you know, he's getting antsy. The other players were getting antsy. And to be honest, it just, to me, felt that they felt that what they gave to the team, they were above said rules that they felt that they could keep doing this thing throughout a, you know, a weird season like this and still get away with it. And I know that he apologized, but it's just another instance where, you know, you, you've gone through this already, man. Like, you know what to do. You know what the protocols are. You, you, you know what the rules are. Like, you know, none of them are rookies. Yeah. Samsonov is not a rookie. <laughs> Ovechkin is the furthest thing from the rookie in the league, except for maybe Zdeno Chara. And Joe Thornton. Um, This is what – and Joe Thornton. (laughs) Patrick Marlowe. Um, This is what Brad Marchand actually had to say about the situation. I didn't know he had said this until I was looking um, some of the story stuff up online. Quote, I think the big thing is it's more of a respect thing, Marchand said. Uh, And by the way, this was to boss hockey now. We all want to be able to play, and there's rules put in place for a reason. They're not hard to follow. We all know the consequences of breaking the rules, and we know what the rules are. So they brought that on themselves. We've all been told very heavily what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. So it is what it is on their side of things. Before we move on, Mm -hmm. just one thing. Is Alex about to agree with Brad Marchand? 
he I think he puts it perfectly, really. They agreed to it. He does. He does. <laughs> He's right. Yeah. That's that's the only time I will ever agree with Brad Marchand. I hope you guys know this, okay? Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, he's uh, he he's right. Like that's exactly what it is. I don't care whether you agree with with it or not. Like in terms of the rules, you agreed to play, and by agreeing to play, you agreed to follow the rules that were put in place. Mm-hmm. So if you decide to take action against those rules, there will be consequences for that, and this is the consequence. Mm-hmm. This is it. Yes, it's like the one guy who pees in the pool. Now you're not allowed in the pool anymore. Yeah, no one's you're allowed in the pool. The, now you, you pissed in the for pool. Everyone. All right. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about some. This is, I think, I don't know if a lot of people are talking as much about this as I think they should be. NBCSN, aka where all the NHL's American games are broadcasts, yeah. will be shut down at the end of the year. Um, apparently there has been word that the league could be getting all of their stuff moved to maybe like USA or stuff that apparently the league have been negotiating with their rights to maybe multiple platforms. But there has been so much talk over the past few years about this new US deal. And the guys who we all saw as sort of the front runner here is shutting down that main name, that main network. And you can promise, you know, leaving space on USA as much as you want. But I got to think this puts a massive, massive uh, sort of question mark in the air, doesn't it? Um, I don't know if it, if it puts that big of a question mark because, yeah. because they want from the start, this was from John Orand of Sports Business Daily. From the start, the NHL has made it clear that it wants to split its rights between at least two TV outlets. Mm-hmm. So NBC, the article says, NBC has told the NHL that it would carve out regular windows on its broadcast channel and USA, USA Network. So mm-hmm. I, I think right there you have USA Network. There's number one, which is owned by NBC, I think. And then you have ESPN. Now, ESPN did lay off 300 people back in November. And and I guess they hate hockey, yeah. But but I think they, they, if ESPN gets the gets part of the rights, I think it's really good. I think it's really good for the game. I know that's the perception, but they are really good. I I heard they're really good at advertising their products. Um, so I think the fact that NBCSN is shutting down is, is it great, but I don't think it's as bad as if they were just looking for one provider. Mm-hmm. I guess first it's weird with the ESPN and hockey right now, because I remember early two thousands, they always had those advertisers with it. They had the NHL games for them. Uh, I remember Jeremy Roenick was one of the covers. That was cool. And Second, yeah, I I think it is kind of a weird situation that's in, but like you said with the sponsorship, it gives the NHL possibly another outlet to get more money, to get more sponsorship, and that's been the theme this year where in, you know, this crazy time how we're going to keep, you know, adding to the game, how are these teams going to stay afloat? And it may just be another thing that they have to just split this split this thing and just get other deals going here and there 
just to increase sponsorship to increase more of the advertising mm-hmm. um moving on to another bit of sports media news while we're on it we'll go a little fast pace here sit six era of tim and sid may have heard of them who is leaving sportsnet for breakfast television in march i believe yeah this- I felt sad again after you said that. I already, <laughs> that's been marinating with me already for so long, but I don't know why that kind of hit me. You know, reading people's stuff on the show about, you know, one, one of the, this person, I don't remember who said it or who sent in the tweet, but it, it, it sort of explains Sits Xero perfectly. You were my favorite person to hate. Because that was sort of the role. So, you know, he goes on the Toronto network and he goes, Least disappointment. Mitch Marner is a Mitch Marner is a clown. You know he 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 played his role perfectly in this market. Yeah. And in a time when they had lost Bob McCowan, well, they got rid of him for you know money, whatever reasons. Kipri Hose and Shannon. <laughs> um, but I I don't think people realize how big of a loss this really is for Sportsnet. And. And I, I, you know, I'll send it around to you guys and maybe you can give me your favorite Sid Sixera moments. Because mine, without a question, I think it's a legendary piece of Canadian media. Knock, knock. Who's there? Go medal to the face. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we found Tim's new co-host. I'll take Adam it. Adam yeah. I'll take it. How did you say my last name? Faluje? Faluje. Faluje. Close enough. Right. I've been working on it. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, like watching Star Wars Clone Wars? Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Battle of... <laughs> okay. All right, we're on Tim and Sid. Star Wars for the rest of the episode. I'm fine with it. No. That'll be a special segment. Okay. Please, guys, if you're listening to this, vote if you want a special Star Wars segment from us. I don't know, we'll go into Bizarre Adventures category. But anyways, Alex, your favorite memory of Tim and Sid. Oh. Or just just Sid. Just just Sid. Tim Stanner. I, okay. I don't know I don't know if I have a particular moment. Cause there was there's there's so many. But like I have this one story that I think I, I found it I found it so funny. Cause it put for me, like I think before I got into uh, journalism school, the whole perception was like, oh, these are like the biggest people. Like they're not real people. Yeah. So I I went, I, I, I think I was uh, going into grade 12 and I, I got to go downtown to the, the 590 building. I think this is when they just they had just a few a uh, couple months before were put on tv at the same time as primetime sports was on radio mm-hmm. and so i was with the i was there to see how the behind the scenes for primetime sports and i'm sitting outside at the desk as he's as the producers getting the stuff uh, getting the show ready and tim and sid walk by and I didn't clue in at first that it was them because I looked and then my mouth dropped and they just kept walking by and the producer goes to me. Yeah. We're not supposed to like them. And I thought it, but he didn't mean it. Like obviously he was just joking. <laughs> right. Cause he produced primetime sports. There was, 
there was competition, but I thought it was the funniest thing because I saw them and I'm like, oh, they're real people. Like they're just not like when we saw American Freedmen. Right. Like they're like that same thing, like, oh my God, like they're real people. They're not just our imagination. That was my that was my favorite moment. Mm-hmm. Damn. For me, and again, um, I'm gonna do a big throwback here. But when I was really little, one thing I really liked to watch outside of, you know, sports and TSN was the score. And for me, you know, being that kid that always wanted to stay up late, um, watch wrestling, watch of uh, those. Like for me, the score was the one sh- was the one channel at the time that always played the Western Conference games. So that was actually the way I was able to watch a lot of like at the time the Phoenix Suns or like the Mighty Ducks. That was really the only way but they're all 10 30 showings but for me it was just those segments with tim and sid where like that that brash thing you want like you know they didn't wear the full suit they weren't stiff they didn't just give you analysis where you know that is great but sometimes when you're a kid you want more of that pizzazz in a way you want more of that excitement and that was kind of something that became my routine thing is like seeing them on the score for those small segments because it kind of went with the fact that how the score was where they just gave you all the information all at once on the screen. But at the same time, they had a different scheduling of what other channels did and that's what they kind of embodied. And when their Sportsnet um, acquired, like Rogers acquired the score, I was actually kind of sad that they were going to get rid of Tim and Sid but I really liked that they were part of that deal that they were able to continue and they actually got a better time slot. They got their own TV show out of it. And it was just fun to watch. Like, I know like this is a really random um, cultural reference I have, but that whole thing about Sid being that bad guy or not a bad guy, or like being that guy that people love to hate. It reminds me of Scarface. And I remember the restaurant scene where it's like, I'm the bad guy. So you people could feel good about yourselves kind of thing. It's like, I I feel in this way where his hot takes are what fueled my passion of the Toronto teams because they're like, no, Sid, we, this is how it is. But at the same (laughs) time, I respect your opinion, but you know, we're going to, we're going to have this, this reality going on. Quote tweets. So sorry that someone quote tweets him and calls him an idiot. You're like, well, he got you. Yeah, he got you exactly. It also speaks volumes to how not only he's perceived by fans and and like other members of Sportsnet, but how he's actually seen by players and management. That Masai Ujiri, why they were talking to Norman Powell, comes on and sort of gives him like, ah, like pulls his leg a bit with the whole, oh, you guys are screwed without each other. But like gives him a congrats, talked about how enjoy how much he enjoys the show. That's mega. Yeah. Just, that speaks I think that speaks volumes, just just how great those guys are. Yeah, for sure. One I remember, thing yeah, was going. I was just gonna say, like, the one thing I liked about Tim and Sid before they were like on TV is if you ever watched when they were on radio, Sportsnet would still have them have the video feed going. And like even when the video when it wasn't a t- official TV show, it was just radio with that video feed. It was still entertaining to watch. Like there was something about watching them that's complete that's completely different than than other ones. Like 
they they would show Hockey Central, then they'd show Tim and Sid, and then they do primetime sports. And I think you tuned into primetime sports to see Bob McCowan, just to see him with the sunglasses and all that. It's one thing to you you tune into Tim and Sid, and they're extru- they're a- animated. They're they're just it's enjoyable to watch. And that's what made it different than let's say like hockey central where the guys were just sitting there. Yeah. Caprios and Doug McLean would get into an argument and, and it get animated, but it was different. It wasn't the same as Tim and Sid. Tim and Sid brought something different that the other, that the other ones necessarily didn't. Mm-hmm. And um, track by the way, with those two. Pardon? Yeah. <laughs> Opposites attract. Yeah. With Tim and Sid. Yes. That's just what made them work so well together. And I am fascinated to see what that lineup looks like next year. Yeah. And- Two things before we go about that. Yep. Sorry, Adam, did I interrupt you? No, no, I'm done. Um, one thing, they've been inspirations to us. I think they everyone came up with that story about they start off as interns and volunteers. And they kind of just went with their ideas. They just kept pitching their ideas. So big inspiration there. Second, I don't know. Like, I'm just gonna think. Like, how is Sid's takes gonna be on breakfast television? Yeah. And like, yeah. it's like hot take. I don't know. And then like, like does he like go off on something, or just does he stay in character? Because this weather's two degrees too much. I can't. I don't like it. Yeah. But my mom said <laughs> my mom said the same thing because she watches uh, breakfast television sometimes. And I said to her, I go, yeah, I see that guy on TV. I go, he's going to be on, on uh, breakfast television starting in March. And the next day, obviously they introduced him on BT cause it all came out. And, and she's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm like, give it a month, just give it a month when he's on. I think people's, I think he's going to change a little bit. Cause I think when, when it's sports, you know, it's all, he, he's very hot yeah. takey, but it's still his personality. That is his personality. People are going to miss his tweets. <laughs> How are they going to be like now? Well, I think he can still. He'll still. Yeah. Be, I think he'll still have. We got you, but on other news around the city. <laughs> Maybe he'll make a 660BT account. And then there's the there's the 660 saying the Calder Cup doesn't matter. Hey, kids. Snow day today. Just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll fit that. I think he'll fit that that energy, that BT energy. I think a lot of people feel like he won't, but I think he will. The best be the fun uncle. Yeah, yeah. the the best member of BT since Adam Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, fellas, we got two more things to talk about. We have the Leafs and we have the Haves, which in itself is not just two things. There's about sixteen things between them. Uh, I say we start with Montreal, obviously, because they played last night. To wrap up a thrilling series against the Vancouver Canucks. And Montreal come out of not just that that series, but their road trip to start the season. They don't play their first home game till next week or this week, depending if you think Sunday starts the week, which it does. They finish first in the league. The best goal differential, the highest scoring team in the league. 23 minor penalties in their last five games. Um, but I mean, I don't think you can describe, you, you could not have written a better start to the season for the Montreal Canadiens. No, I don't think you could have. No. They, six point, 
uh, sorry, a six-game point streak to start the year for Nick Suzuki, by the way, guys. Um, he's arrived. He's, he, he's the star already. There's Better no- than Pierre-Luc Dubois? I think there's more of an offensive upside for Suzuki. I think like there, there's always been this comparison that Suzuki's favorite player growing up was Patrice Bergeron, and he just plays the game the right way. The Suzuki, I, I, it, uh, he's going to lead this team in scoring. He, I, I watch him and I think he has saved Jonathan Druin's career. <laughs> And like I mean, in the nicest way. But since they they were put together, it is a, it's a different Jonathan Ruin, who has been one of like the most important parts of this Canadians team to start. By the way, from all the new additions from the off season, I I'm including Romanov in this. So like Romanov, Edmondson, Allen, eleven goals so far, seventeen points. One fight from Joel Edmondson. We'll talk about later. Two wins in two games from Jake Allen. Oh, Jake Allen played again. He did, yes. He oh, okay. played uh, one of the Edmonton games and one of the yeah. Our boy. Making sure Carey Price uh, definitely gets gets the, the rest he needs. Right. Mm-hmm. See, is going to miss him. Aren't, aren't they? I mean, I'm sure they would have loved to have someone safer than Bennington after that 8 nothing gloss, but... They had a really who-so. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, who? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, like, at the same time... The Canucks cannot defend. I, there was a point where they had actually tied the game 2-2 yesterday. And you can tell that there was pressure from the Canucks, but the way they were playing all game, that one bad push, and an odd win rush was going to be the other way, and the Canadians are not a team you can give that opportunity to. And that's how Montreal ended up taking the game over. But I, I mean, like the Ulevi stuff, we'll talk about, Corey Perry in a second because Daniel, I know we do not have to talk about it. But just before we really go into Montreal, I mean the Canucks. It, and if Montreal had, by the way, if Montreal had had some discipline, I think they'd be undefeated. Because that first game against the Canucks, they had no right to win. Because the the Canucks forget about their depth up front. Their defense is such a mess, and Elias Patterson, guys, has not been Elias Patterson to start this season. And it is concerning for so many reasons. Yeah, he he's he's not looked good. And I and I think last episode I said, you know, JT Miller comes coming in could change things. And at that point he did he had only played one game with the team and now he's played what two more? Uh, it I listen. Um, it could be what? Uh, so, no, is this is in his sophomore season? Is it? This is his third season. I believe so. Yeah. So I guess it's not a sophomore slump. Either way, it's it, it could be just a bad start. Like I feel like we expect we see all these teams coming out starting really hot, like 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 Montreal, but we forgot there's a pandemic going on and obviously things really aren't the same right even more than because i think over the last few years he's been at least eight points through his first six games after last night i believe he only has an assist and a goal and he has zero there there was this really really funny moment sportsnet i don't know if they did this on purpose but he had hit the bar on a power play 
And seconds, seconds after he had hit it, Sportsnet threw up a graphic saying that he doesn't have a point on the power play to start the season. And that has to be the bread and butter for that team. And it wasn't just offensively. I mean, he, on the line, had a horrible turnover that led to a cocky enemy breakaway. Fortunately, Braden Holpe makes the save, but... I think we underestimated the pieces that they lost and their significance to the team. Oh boy, Chris Tanev. I <laughs> oh, I, I think that guy has has had a bit was definitely more of a loss than, than we I thought like, okay, whatever, they're losing him. I mean Nate Schmidt will be fine. But the defensive side of things and like the locker room through the that you've lost in Tanev too. Well, not even just Tanev. Tanev, Stetcher, Markstrom. I, and I know they only had Toffoli for a very short period, but with Toffoli on the team, it, it looked different. Stetcher, apparently, Harmon Dial was writing. He, he's actually very good on, like, the five-on-five sort of suppression of shots, I believe. Yeah. So. I, th- I know they got Schmidt, but it was difficult to add anyone for that team because of the cap. And it's not going to get any easier. That's- yeah, I I kind of agree with that, that the amount of pieces they lost at one time really did affect them. I thought that, yeah, like, like any team the cap has cap constraints, you're going to kind of bet on the guys that you already have there. And it just hasn't that just hasn't translated to any success so far. And, you know, they're going to have to need these guys to keep going because like we talked about that defense, like that Oli Levy play that was like you know that's something hard for me to watch not as a like i'm not a canucks fan but you know i'm a fan of a guy doing his best to try to make it after so many injuries um you know we i know he's public enemy number one now on the podcast but you know tyler myers for the cap hit he's given and for the role he's supposed to play it's just not there and it's just again another contract that's kind of looking like a Jay Beagle, Anton Roussel kind of situation because he's not playing, you know, he's he's playing in certain situations, but they're still putting him on the third line. And that's embarrassing to see for a defense that if your, na- your name is not Quinn Hughes, then like, you know, there's not really any premier names on that blue line. Mm-hmm. And yes, in terms of that, those forwards, you could talk about players that you haven't really noticed. And I what comes to mind is Jake Vertanen. Is just it's just been flat. It's been in the situation now where I think you put him where he's supposed to go now. I don't bet on him to be, you know, a guy that was supposed to go in the top ten anymore. He's a guy that put him in a good situation, like the third line, you know, good scoring line, and it just hasn't been there. And if your top guys are not performing, if your depth's not performing, then I don't know what you're gonna be hoping on because for me, Braden Holpe has looked really shaky. Yeah. I, I thought the new environment would really help him, but this is still Washington end of his, you know, time at Washington, Braden Holtby. They didn't help him out at all though. No. They there was no support for him there. There was yeah. a sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying about Jake for Tannen. What you know, they need to do what Calgary did with Sam Bennett. Or what Sam Bennett did to become the current Sam Bennett he is. That's what Jake for Tannen has to do. Because it seemed to have worked with Sam Bennett. Yes, he's not what Sam Bennett was drafted fourth overall. Fourth overall. Is he turned out to be a fourth overall pick type player? Unfortunately, not. But um, it's just 
so you got to do it. Like he's Drake for can be an NHL player. Like he is an NHL player. Like it's not even a question, but you, it, you got to change your game if it's not working. Mm-hmm. And Niels Holanger has been a, a bit of a surprise, but that's something going for the Canucks. Yeah. Another great rookie for them. You know, there was, if we're talking about just the dead cap situation, there is a play when Evans was busting down the ice and it took Jay Beagle everything he had to sort of keep him from getting a quality chance on Holpe. And then you just see Beagle go to the bench and it's just, it encapsulates, it encapsulates the Vancouver Canucks situation to a T. Um, and what doesn't help them is Tyler Toffoli leaves. And has two of the most, like not not two, has three of the most dominant games of hockey I may have ever seen in my life. Uh, honestly, he she should have had a few last night, but hope he came up huge. And there was a, a pass from Perry that Tafoli wasn't quite expecting, but he was leading the league in scoring for about a day, Tafoli, without having a goal in the first few games of the season. He, you can just tell how much of this revenge tour he's on. And he apparently always does well in Rogers arena, even when he was a King. Oh, despite being a, he's a Scarborough guy. He's not even a BC boy. There's just something about that arena. And just the added thing of how this contract situation should like seem to have gone down. It's so nice. Tyler Defy was just Daniel, you bastard for predicting him coming to Montreal. (laughs) That's a great prediction. It has been so, so good. But you, we'll talk about Tyler Myers now. Dying minutes of game two. The Canadians are winning at the time. It was 6-3. to three. They get the 7-3 like goal, Sherratt, power play from this penalty. Tyler Myers gets assigned a five-minute major. After reviewing the hit on the ice, he hits Yoel Armia, concusses him. Armia was having a four-point night, by the way. By NHL standards this is not an illegal hit because the head was not the quote principal point of contact but in the explanation video that player safety provided kudos he explained it but this is the problem here they acknowledged that there was head contact and on the broadcast last night brian burke acknowledged that that was a big guy hit and he was actually fine with player safety's judgment which i, I couldn't agree with less I think that, and I think I'm being quite calm about this because Armia, he has a concussion. He did not play last night, naturally. And you talk about how important depth is in the Canadians. And like, you guys know I'm a massive fan of Yola Armia. So I think I'm being quite calm. I'm I'm glad you're being calm about it. (laughs) Because a player like Tyler Myers comes from the side of Armia did Armia have his head down? Okay, so in this, in my opinion, I see Armia does not see this guy coming. Tyler Myers is a giraffe. I think he's like 6'7". Six, 6'7", seven. Six, seven, yeah. Being a big guy, I think you should have a responsibility. Why in the world a guy his height goes upwards on a hit is beyond me. And the double IHF people give crap to, but the moment there is head contact on a hit, and again, this on the ice, the referees did not just make it that split second. 
They reviewed the play and decided it was a five-minute major, and there was head contact. Forget about if it's the principal point of contact. There was contact to the head. And how in that world in the world this does not sort of warrant a suspension? Now, in typical hockey fashion, it was it was figured out last game. Myers' first shift, Joel Edmondson and him out in the warm-up. They have a fight. Great, fantastic. Jonathan Druin was happy about it. The boys got behind it. That's hockey. I hate it, but <laughs> it, it, it falls into Joel Edmondson's lap to sort of get justice for this team in a hit that we should be eliminating or just have any sort of, of policing here on contact to the head. I, 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 uh, I 100% agree with that. And I was reading, I didn't re- I didn't get to read the entire thing at the time, but I saw Eric Engels write a piece about you shouldn't be upset at the Department of Player Safety. You should be upset at the way it's worded. Because I believe the way it's worded, and I'd have to double check that, is if the head is the prince is the principal contact. That's that's what the issue is. I, I fully agree. I a hundred percent agree the 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 way the hit was, I thought it was suspendable, even if it wasn't necessarily. I thought it was close enough to being the principal contact that you could you can make the argument um like it's not the i think a lot of people were saying you know well his head was down yeah but let's let's look at the context because i know people don't look at context because that's too difficult to do i know i know but he was he was battling for the puck it's not like he was what you know you walk into the zone and a guy lays you out well, your head was down. Maybe don't play with your head down. It's but not Mark Stone entering the zone and Dustin Bufflin with his head down. No. Right, right. Like this was they're in the on the side of the boards battling for the puck. I think Army either passed it, the puck got taken off of him. I don't remember. But they were still battling for the puck there. And Myers comes in and goes up. Why is he going up? You're exactly right. There's no reason for him to go up. He's like a hundred feet tall. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense? I, I, I think it was suspendable. And I think the reason it wasn't, I think it should be suspendable. I'm guessing the way it's worded in the, in the thing, in the document, it has to be primary hit primary contact, which I think maybe reword it. A little bit like I'm not I, I think this argument and it goes I think this could be said about a, a plethora of subjects not just hitting is it, it it's not one way or the other that's not how it works it's not we need absolute brutality in hockey or we shouldn't have hitting and fighting like it's not one or the other there is a middle ground and I don't understand what like the arguments from people that say, well, if you know, if this is a suspendable hit, then, you know, hockey's hockey's not the same. Well, wait a second here. There's literally like, I'll say it again. It's freaking science. It's literally science is getting hit in the head bad. Yes. Okay. I watched UFC last night. I'll tell you what the difference is. The difference is when they sign the contract to do their sport, they're they are saying, you know what, there's a good chance I'm gonna get hit in the head. Because that's the point of it. That is literally the point. Combat sport. <laughs> in hockey, when you sign the contract, 
You are supposed to win games by putting pucks in the back of the net. Is hitting going to happen? Absolutely. I am not saying hitting should be taken out of the game. I'm arguing that there are head hits, which are extremely dangerous to people that are not good for the game. Daniel. Oh, that's hard to follow up, but no problem. Um, Yeah. I kind of felt too, like that elevated, you know, move by Myers was, I think arguably that was a dirty move. That was something that when it happened in the game, looked like something was out of frustration out of i wasn't thinking type of thing and the one the first thing that kind of stuck out to me and it's not really the important the most important thing but these guys are former teammates these are guys that both played yes. on buffalo they both played on winnipeg together They're both in the vander kane trade and the way i kind of saw it was there was that puck battle there was something where you know we're losing 6-3 late in the game and why would you do something like that? Why would you, first of all, to yourself being out of the game and to further handicap your team like that? And what we said before, this is not a rookie move. This is not an 18-year-old you know, adjusting to the NHL level. This is a guy that's been there a while. He's drafted in 2008. Tyler Myers knows better than this. And it's just something that... He, it was not a reflex thing. This was something where you just didn't read the play properly and you were out of position. You were not someone that had to be in that scrum. You know, you had the height, you had, you know, you have the bigger, bigger hockey stick. You could just join that battle and just try to get something off the board, but he didn't. He, I I actually don't know what he did, like why he would do that. I don't know, Daniel. Uh, It was dumb. It was dumb. It was dangerous. And um, I should have been suspendable. Should, sorry, yeah, sorry. Stupid player. Should have been a suspension. Don't don't be wish our best to don't your army. Yeah. Um. Though, like spots on the Canadian team right now is is just so tight for competition. Um. Especially when you see, as a result of Armia's injury, Armi um Corey Perry gets his spot on the third line, third line with Toffoli and Kaki Nemi. And I, this reminded me of a couple of years ago when Weber came back in November from his, his massive knee injury and he didn't miss a beat. It's just, you start, you kind of see with these veteran players that they can step in and Corey Perry did not look like he missed a step. He scored because of an Olevi um, orange goal. It's nearly set up to Foley the score. He was good. And I kind of love it. And I kind of love Corey Perry. Daniel, I, I love him. He's ours now. Did, did anyone else get back of 2011 last night? Nope, just you. No, just me? Okay. Yeah, he was all <laughs> over the ice last night. But, you know, back-checked, he set up his players. You know, people were saying, oh, he had that stupid tripping penalty. But then again, you know, even if it was for a night for me, vintage Corey Perry on this play last night, doing his best, doing what he can do, showing what he can contribute to a team. You know, I loved it. Of course, he's not, he's not, he's not heart trophy Corey Perry anymore, but in our hearts, he is. I was worried that he wouldn't be able to keep up with KK and, uh, and Toffoli. It didn't, wasn't an issue. I didn't notice that he was, he was even making a bit of moves. He got around one of the Canuck, Canucks defensive with a move. I'm like, what is happening here? How is like thirty four year old Corey Perry make? Yeah, um, depth. I love depth so much. I think um, it's he had the chance because 
when he was on the Ducks, he was still being paid in a way that he was supposed to be that top guy. But the way they played that, you know, it's adapted more now with the younger guys. But like, you know, like dragging your opponent through the mud type of play was what the Ducks kind of, that was their bread and butter. Mm. And when he got to Dallas, I think you had that opportunity now that you could see him fly. You could see him skate. You could see him be more of a guy that is, you know, more well-rounded. And I think that he brought that approach to Montreal. And you know what? It, it fits in with their, as you're kind of pointing out there with their play, like style play. It, it's kind of like the same thing Joss Anderson does like, a little slower, but um, yeah. I, I mean, I love him so much. There was almost a chance where like, again, Paul Byron took those, that Weber slap shot to the leg. And there was a question whether he was going to play. And I think it was Art Bon Bossu where Eric Gangos talked about getting into the lineup is so important right now. He played through that. Victor Mete almost played forward in that game last yeah. night. And Elliot Freeman actually reports on headlines that teams are keeping an eye on him for if he can't get into the lineup. Um, so that's something to sort of keep an eye on, actually, is, is Victor Mete's situation with the team. Because I'm sure you know, he looks at Alex Romanov and thinks, crap. Do you know who needs a left-handed defenseman? Who's that? Boston. I know it would never happen. I would be, it'd be, oh. I'll do it for David Pasternak. It'd be something. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be something in the city of Montreal if Mark Bergevin traded with Boston. Mm-hmm. But um, they need a left defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, only three Canadians have not actually scored yet. Uh, every player, I believe, has a point. Even Corey Perry getting into one game. Um, only three players have not scored so far. Paul Byron, Brett Kulak, even though he set up the first goal last night, and Philip Deneau, who That's surprising. Did you guys see how Horvat had the exact same pair of goals in back-to-back nights on the power play? Like no. right in front of the net wide open? Mm-hmm. What's good. funny is he was Deneau's man. Huh? And I'm telling you, he's been good. But the press were reporting that Philip Deneau apparently had turned down a six-year deal worth $30 million in the offseason. What's really funny about this is Bergevin gave off the impression he was done for the season and there was like nothing, like stuff doesn't come out of Montreal, right? And it's just very rich that Deneau has been going on about his, he wants more. Apparently he wants towards $6 million, like $5.7, $5.8 million. And on this team, he still hasn't scored. Yeah. Is and it time to bench him? And Mitch Marner wants thirteen million dollars. Yeah. We can all dream. We can all dream. I'm scared that he's losing money now. It's time to bench Phil Deneau. No, no. <laughs> well, I think the thing with Phil Deneau is it's not necessarily just his scoring touch. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of Montreal or in-depth watching of Montreal games as I have, because they play at the same time as Toronto. Like I'll have it on, on my, my computer, but like I have my earphones in, I have my eyes on the screen. Mm-hmm. So the thing with Phil Deneau is it's that two-way game that is the impressive part of him. Has that changed? On a, even strength, it's fine. But again, on the power play, he mm-hmm. kept losing Horvat. Right. And could you say that, like, the amount of pressure the power, the penalty kill has been facing because of all the penalties? That's a problem. But um, letting the exact same scoring chance happen back to back nights. No. And how do you leave Bo Horvat that wide open? It's a concern. 
And it, yeah. the, if he wants that money, he has to put up the offensive numbers. For him, like, man, like, I am not 100% bothered by Dano not scoring 20 goals a year until he brings it into his contract. I want Dano on this team so badly. Mm-hmm. But he's going to lose leverage if Kakinemi and Suzuki continue to play this well because they picked up right where they left off in the bubble. Yeah. And Jake Evans has worked on his game and his skating to fit into this Canadian system, and he is a coach's player by nature. Yeah. And if he doesn't score, he's losing his money right now. I think this is this was very strategic. Whoever let this um whoever let this this out, very strategic. There's mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence that it's coming out now. Like again, we we've had I think Adam and I, we were talking about it um Friday night. Around was that. it with, with when we were watching whatever game? And I think you know you look back at other contract negotiations whether it's league or team and player and I always remember this one thing that Jamie McClellan 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 my god said um when it was about the Marner negotiations and he goes whenever it reaches its bottom point I'm um, whenever it reaches whenever the worst thing comes out something something ends up happening after that with Marner. It was announced that, you know, Hey, he, uh, he was offered seven years at $11 million at the draft and he didn't take it. A few days later, he signs, we hit the bottom point of, of um, PA and the NHL negotiations a week later. It's, it was settled. Mm -hmm. So my thing is, is that happening again? Or is this, kind of a wake-up call to Philip Deneau to say, hey, I know you don't want to negotiate during the season, but if this is the offer we handed you and you're going to play like this, might want to step it up. It reminds me of uh, not to the extent yet, because I think Deneau has been a lot more valuable and has been there longer, but remember when Anthony Duclair was given his extension and then he lost leverage when he wanted to not, we want to represent himself, but also like with the amount of young guys that were coming up for the senators. And I think it is a similar situation. Like you said, Adam about Phil to know that if I was him, I would have taken that deal already because look at the way this team has been playing without him having to be a factor in there, at least offensively, mm-hmm. that there is so much depth there that, you know, what was once a, position of need is becoming a position of strength now for Montreal and everything just seems to be working or clicking like whether or not he is going to be there as part of the future like I I keep thinking of Josh Anderson as a boulder as something that has been so important to this team that they have filled so many needs now that they could have if the worst comes to worst they could afford to lose Phil Deneau I know that he isn't important to a center, but it's something that, again, it's something that you don't have to kind of drag on for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the storylines to keep an eye on, again, your first place team in the league right now. And next week, we finally get to see them in their red jerseys to start the season. And I'm so excited to see the Bell Center. I, I saw a tweet asking, you know, like, what, what do you imagine the Bell Center would sound like tomorrow if, this, if we had fans in the building and they had had this start? And you do the player introductions and you go to Suzuki, you go to Kakinemi, 
you go to Toffoli, you go to Anderson, just how, and I think if you go off the introductions, it would go Suzuki, Kakinemi, then Anderson right in a row. Uh, and then we go to Petrie, and then it would go. Do they have ambient sounds of the Bell Center on YouTube or something we could play? I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? They always have such great – no one does a ceremony better than the Bell Center, and it, it sucks. I mm. wish um, I wish I, I wish there was a hockey game for me to go watch because I, I, they're going to do it right, but I don't yeah. know. Um, the, when Alex feels this way, though, he listens to Hall of Notes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and for us, it's it's Coldplay. It's uh, it's I miss it so much. All right, looking at the Leafs, they had a very very interesting week. First off, I'm looking at the fact that Nick Robertson is on LTIR, and Joe Thornton will miss some time from good old Josh Archibald, at least four weeks due to the rib injury. It was also reported on headlines last night that apparently the Leafs are looking at forwards to acquire Alex. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I mean, yeah, that Robert the Robertson injury is rough, and because I think the one thing I've noticed is that the guys who don't necessarily have confirmed spots on the team who are fighting for spots look the best. Mm-hmm. And we saw it last game with Pierre Engvall. We saw it the couple games I think that Robertson got to play. It it was they just looked like they cared. And, and I'm not saying the other guys didn't necessarily look like they cared. You know, we've talked about it multiple times this season alone about my thoughts on them looking like they care or not. But it's interesting to hear they're going to look for other forwards because I thought the depth was enough. And I guess there's the whole Travis Boyd thing, and it didn't seem like maybe that that's going to work out. That's potent- could potentially be a reason. Um, they're going out to look for another forward. I looked at free agency. There's not a whole lot of names out there. Like the only one that's really left available that stood out to me was Michael Grabner. I don't know if that's necessarily something they're interested in, but I I mean, if it's not for too much, I wouldn't mind having him back. Oh no, of course not. I'm not even, I'm thinking there's no way more than league. Like how much is Michael Grabner going to, can he ask for? And he's been part of i don't know our fandom yeah. and our and our i don't know our references on the show so much that it would make yeah. more so much sense like carver hagee was traded for him because he was literally part of the the worst team in in like modern history of but the yeah. Leafs. I you know his speed penalty kill i wouldn't mind it you know or how about orion paling no i don't know if no? if that's gonna <laughs> go well um, not because Ryan Pelling's bad. I mean, the reaction to the trade with oh, Montreal, yeah. I mean, um, but you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with that because of the whole quarantine situation. I know, um, what they're tr- what they're trying to do now with Pierre-Luc Dubois and all the Canadian teams are getting involved with is trying to reduce that 14 day quarantine to if they're brought in through chartered jet that, um, are private jet cool guys i guess they take private jets and they quarantine for seven days with four negative tests that they don't have to do that second week um maybe that will change what the leafs are willing to go out and do i don't think it's going to be an impressive move i think it's just going to be a whatever type trade um 
with the Thornton injury, I don't think it's as bad <laughs> as <laughs> I feel awful saying this because I think Joe Thornton's biggest attribute to this team is his leadership and the work he does in the room. I think it's he's a good he's still a good player, no question about it. But I think for this team right now specifically, his biggest attribute is his leadership on the ice and his leadership in the room because he was playing on the first line, but I think he can easily just play on the fourth or third line because the Leafs have a guy like Hyman. They have McKayev who they can slot up there. I was going to ask you, who who do you see getting on that top line now that Joe's gone? Uh, if if Matthews is back today, probably I wouldn't be surprised if it's Hyman and they bring back what they started last year was Hyman, Matthews, Marner, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because I really like that third line of Kerfoot, Hyman, mm-hmm. Mikheyev. Yeah. But I want to point out, Pierre Engvall uh, two nights ago looked like an absolute monster on the ice. Like he just, he looked completely different than the back half of last year. Which is, if there are guys you're waiting for to be that difference maker in the depth role, it is Engvall. Because what's that yeah. magical saying they keep saying about him? He turned into a pumpkin. What's that contract aside? And yeah. even it was the same with Justin Hall. And I think it, it, after he signed that contract, I think things kind of went downhill a little bit for him. But as soon as this year started, and you look at that defense core, like I was making an argument that maybe Justin Hall might be your seventh defenseman. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I think he's proved himself. Like him and Muzzin, I, I think that hair is something else, <laughs> by the way. But he looks he looks better than the way it ended off last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I want to point out another player. I f- love Ilya Mikheyev. He's flying to start the season. Yeah. He I think like it's like he's 100%. He looks he looks like he looked that those first few games when uh at the beginning of last season and then obviously he got injured and then then that five game series that I don't like to talk about and then now we're here and it looks like there's guys who needed fresh starts and got them and it was by far the best thing for them. It helps with a certain Adam Brooks score as well. Yeah, my Brooksy. boy Adam Brooksy. I love him. I watched him. I I didn't tell you guys this, but I was at the Calder Cup Finals. Wow! Uh, when they won, that was story. really fun. Um, I got to go to Game Seven. It was against the Texas Stars. Yeah, I got to see future stars Igor Korshikov, um, Adam Brooks, Carl Grundstrom. You know, I miss Carl Grundstrom by the way. Um, but yeah, I I'm so happy for Adam Brooks. I tweeted about it that this was a guy that was drafted as an overager in the fourth round. Um, honestly, like outside of Austin Matthews that year, I think that Brooks was probably the second best pick um, for the Leafs. And I'm just so happy that he finally got the score. I know he had some games last year, but, you know, you kind of cheer for those guys. He's like a Brett Leeson kind of guy. You, you you cheer for these guys that get passed over in the draft and then they come back with like these monster seasons and, they make their way to the big show. All right, Sam Cosentino. <laughs> the Leafs have faced a bit of divert, not diversity, sorry, adversity in the start of the season. Um, 
But yeah, um, without Joe Thornton or Austin Matthews in the first game against the Oilers, I believe it was, they pull out. Sorry, no, that was game two. Game two. Yeah. Game one was the most boring game. And such a boring game, I forgot about it for a second there. Jake Muzzin's um, leg scoring the first goal. I hate the chance I get to watch a Leafs game and then they pull that out. I'm like, are you serious? I took the time to watch you today. <laughs> that? It was a coach's game. Like That was, oh, that was something else. Like, I was, yeah, coach's game. Yeah, great. I'm so happy. I want both coaches fired after that. On every game. You're just like every other Leafs fan. Join the club. Like Barry Trotz is at least, a, you know what? He's the laws at this point, but at least, you know, you have the caps and I just don't want to, but you know what? They pull out the winning game too. But before we get into that and your guys' thoughts on those games, Alex, I feel like you have something to say about Josh Archibald. I wrote a letter. Who, by the way, I voted in the two-on-one podcast poll on Twitter. The game. More than one person voted for Josh Archibald. I know. I'm kind of disappointed. He had more votes than Carter McDavid in our poll. <sighs> I wrote a I wrote a letter apologizing because I felt bad because he scored an empty netter, even though it was absolutely meaningless. But um, I wrote a letter anyways because I felt bad. <sighs> Fine, I'll do it. Dear Josh Archibald, hope all is well during these unsettling times because, you know, COVID and all, whatever. It's Alex from the two-on-one podcast. I saw you scored an empty netter against my team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And because of that, I owe you an apology. Yeah, you. Okay. Josh Archibald, I'm sorry. Clearly, I was wrong. One goal changed everything. You aren't a scrub. You aren't some nobody who plays next to Connor McDavid, the greatest player in hockey right now. That could be disputed, but you're Josh freaking Archibald. And damn, you look like you're in the greatest shape of your life, okay? Playing next to McDaddy. Even though I only know you and you own and you don't even know who I am. I hope we can still be friends despite the mean things I said about you. Please stop scoring against my team. I'll literally do anything to stop that painful memory. I love you. You love me. Alex. <laughs> Very good. I don't know. I'm still kind of uh maybe it's me holding back, but I, I before he took before, Joe Thornton away from us. I, I just want to point out everything else I've said about the Edmonton Oilers still stands. Yes. My my stance on the Edmonton Oilers will not change. I have one take from this, and okay. I'd like to congratulate Adam Larson on being this year's Andy Green. He's leading the league in block shots. Congratulations. How about stop letting the puck in, in the net? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. Um I, there's a part of me who doesn't that doesn't even want to ask you guys your thoughts on game one, but I guess I should I should do it I should uh, I have a responsibility to this show. Um, the sort of criticism afterwards was you know the Leafs playing the defensive style but sort of forgetting their offense in their back pocket. It's the typical. It's the most typical Leafs thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's like. Okay, guys, here's the thing. You can either play offense or you can play defense. Hmm, I guess we can't do both. Why Why are the Maple Leafs paying people $11 million 
to do what? Play one game? What? How does that make sense? Like it. And the thing is, I okay, maybe I'm overreacting a little bit. I guess I do that sometimes. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm human. Damn it. But but it's not just this year. It's been the thing pre-Sheldon Keefe, like during Mike Babcock's entire tenure, where it was like, okay, we're going to play the defensive style of game, but our offense is, offense is going to lack. And then it's vice versa. Like, can't find the middle ground after five years. It's, you know... You appreciate Connor did not score. If memory serves, Leon Drysdale made Leon, but Connor did not. Um, I, you know, uh, listen. You appreciate that they're still working on the kinks, right? And I see it a little differently from years before because you kind of really now have. Like with the Brody and that, you have a much more complete defensive team in your pocket here. Um, And it's better to be sort of trying to figure this out now than hopefully, I keep wanting to say March because I can't can't remember when the season's ending anymore. Um, You know what I mean though. Yeah, the play. be announced because we have so many like postponed games. It should be like November right now. No, it shouldn't. It should still be October. By the way, last episode, I was like, is this week three? It was the end of week one. Yeah, that's what I said. I said that in this episode. I'm like, I swear it was just been week one. Oh, oh. And then you guys kept saying week two or three. I don't I know thought why. it was the end of week two. <laughs> the season started the 13th. That episode was the 20th. It was a week. I was like, what happened here? Um, um, um. But you know, at least the Leafs, I, my mic disconnected. Um, oh, no, but- we just, there we go. Week, sorry, not week two. God damn it. Are we in week three yet? We're, we're about to hit um, but Wednesday, Wednesday. And they do win game two. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's they the good together. thing. Hold on. That, more of a fun game. Talking. For some reason, my speaker went out. Okay. That, that, that's the good thing is that they, they rebounded. I still thought gave the second game, like it wasn't the most exciting game in the world, which is fine. I'd rather them... I'm trying to think because there's a part of me that enjoys watching them play really fun hockey, but I really want them to win. Like I'd be lying if I said, like I'd rather watch them, I'd rather watch them lose an eight-seven game than watch them win a two-one win. No, I'd rather watch them win two what? Like that's ridiculous. Those higher scoring losses just hurt because the whole game you're just you're so stressed from going back and forth, and if you fall, like if you win, it's like. But if you lose, like this goddamn, you see every, you look back at every play, like you had your man there, you let this go in there. What's the goalie doing? They are losing high scoring games is the worst feeling. And that's what the Leafs did when their defense wasn't very good. It was very consistently, they either win or lose high scoring games. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad, you're absolutely right. I'm glad they're working on it now and dealing with it now rather than later. But I think my thing was, I know their defense has been good now, but the because they have Brody and you know Bogosian and the little bit of Lettinen and Muzzin, etc. But the whole thing the last four years has been well, 
wait a second, it can't just be 100% on your defenseman to play defense. Your forwards have to learn that game. And when they do that, I found that when, hey, we're going to focus on the defensive side of the game. They've always, they've seemed to have forgotten the offense. And, and when you're paid, at the end of the day, when you're paid the amount of money that some of these guys are, are paid, you got to, you can't forget both sides so often. You have to say, hey, I, I'm playing. I got to remember the defensive side of the game. I have to back check. But I also have to remember I need to produce offensively. And it's a difficult thing to do. I'm not saying it's the easiest thing to do. But when you walk into a contract negotiation and say, I, or I, I deserve a 10.8, million, $11.6 million, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Gotta produce. If they're having this kind of performance at game thirty-five, then it's like, okay, let's let's figure this out. Right. I think for now, what I liked was that jolt they had from those guys that you know, they come into the lineup and what Steve Dangle tweeted about Pierre, but like this guy is fighting for his job, and I think that you know it doesn't have to be that desperation every night, but there has to be that that passion of wanting to drive the plays and what Alex said with these other players that, you know, they need them to step up. They need to be those consistent stars that really they're being paid to be that we want more out of that. And yeah, again, early, early in the season, but if when, yeah, once you're approaching like, you know, the thirties and I hope to God, not the forties. I think even earlier this year, because it does only a yeah, 56 game schedule that, things to get figured out and that the consistency is there. Like I agree, Alex, like maybe, I don't know. What's our threshold for them? Game 20, 25. Mm-hmm. I think between 20 and 25, this is how you're going to play the rest of the year. We should do a clock kind of, or not a clock. We should do like a, a, a meter thing for the Habs and the Leafs. Like, all right. We're getting Ex- there. Expectations Amen. for 25 and what it really was or what I, they've been able to accomplish. I think Montreal started the year running and that's by far the perfect thing any team in the league can do now i mean it could i you know what it's not gonna backfire i was gonna say they might get tired ah screw that they're not gonna get tired listen if they're they're losing outside of the 60 minutes at least and if you get you need points right right a similarity you can kind of draw between montreal and toronto and seeing these depth guys work and I think you just mentioned, Daniel, you know, sort of having that competition in the bottom of your lineup. It's not good enough just to have 12 good forwards in this league. You need to have competition in practice because you got to remind those depth guys that if I have a bad game, it's not just, you know, I could lose my spot here. And you would hope that at the same time, it would then sort of influence higher up in the lineup. Then you know what, if these guys are giving it their all, then when the situation calls for it, those guys are going to go the extra step as well. It's kind of like in, in years before we criticized Ovechkin, man, block a shot. Um, doesn't do it during the regular season, but then the moment you get to the playoffs, that's when you give, that's when you give your hundred percent. Yeah. And like that competition just helps it all the way up and down the lineup. Yeah. That's, 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 uh, that's exactly it. Because if the bottom, the third and fourth line guys are, even if they're not performing, offensively but it looks like they give a damn all eyes are gonna be on that top six when they're kind of slacking off Mm -hmm. because 
why is it that these guys like are busting their ass off and you're just prancing around? It, it, it's not a good look. And I think you make a good point. And I think about competition in the bottom six. And I think this year has brought something different that past years haven't, which is the taxi squad. Mm-hmm. Because it allows teams not just to have those three, the up to three um, guys sitting in the press box, but those what uh, five or six guys in your taxi squad, where it's like okay, that's it's kind of interchangeable, yeah, waivers and and all that, but it's something the Leafs maybe didn't necessarily have in the past, it didn't seem, especially last year, like there was a lot of guys who were going to come up from the AHL and steal a spot here and steal a spot there. Whereas this year, you know, you got Engvall, you got, um, who am I missing? Brooks. Like there, there's guys there who, who, Hey, Robertson, all bear there's guys who can come in pick up a spot oh that's mine and it's just it keeps switching it keeps people on their feet yeah there's accountability i think everywhere now with a shortened season that you know there's no really margin of error being two and five to start a season is bad enough who's two and five this seat, I think like the Canucks are two and four and two and five. But like looking at that, all of a sudden, if you look at it sort of stretch out in the real season, what you're like three or four, eight, like you just it's kind of like a few years ago when Columbus started the season like 0 and 5. It's all of a sudden you don't actually have 82 games. All of a sudden, your platform is now you have 78 games. And there's right. there's just that in the shortened season, you need more. Um what are each of you expecting for the Leafs going into their first games of the season versus the Flames? Who I, I, I don't even know what's up with the Flames, to be honest with you. I know from what I've been reading, Goudreau has looked fantastic. Markstrom, perfect signing for them. Oh, did you see his new pads? Yeah. Oh, they're like fire. Oh, that stops. No, they're nice. They're nice. I laugh under like that would have gone well with the, the flying skate in Vancouver. Oh. Did, did, did you guys know that Calgary's only played three games? Yeah, they had like a five day. Uh, I I know that from Haley Sullivan. For um, she's like it's they had a five days off. My God, that's well, okay. Yeah, um, I, I think this is going to be another interesting team to play against because I think everyone talks about Calgary and calls them Toronto East because they are Toronto West because they have these high expectations, but haven't really seemed to necessarily figure it out. But I think what they did in the off season really, really helped them bringing in Markstrom really solidified their goaltending. Like we didn't, we don't really know yet. It feels like what David Riddick is because it's been a little inconsistent. You know, you lose Brody and Hamannick. You bring in, uh, you bring in Chris Tanev, who some people have said like that's an upgrade over TJ Brody. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think defensively, TJ um, Chris Tanev is a great addition. Mm-hmm. And then even bringing up depth pieces, a guy like Josh Levo. I just happened to list every single guy they stole from Vancouver. I am so sorry, <laughs> but. Yeah. But Josh Leave, like that's a depth piece that 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 can really help a team. Um, I think they play. I think this is a battle of two very similar teams in 
and how they can play where it's a lot of offense with some defensive issues. Here comes the two nothing game. I really hope not. Well, maybe I do. As long as it's a Leafs win, that's all. I think it's going to be four two or four three Toronto. I think it's going to be seven six. Lucic gets four points. If Lucic gets four points, ah. You know what I miss? They don't have these too many too many of these games anymore. But I remember when I was a kid, they always had like eight six games. No, uh, like there used to be a lot more games like that, like eight six, like where the the narrative of it is a team would always be losing like four two in the second period, and then they end up winning eight six. That would I I couldn't stand that. Like just too many too many high scoring games have just been, especially like ten p.m. starts and seven mm. goal. Yeah, I don't want that. That's too much for me. Once in what a people are saying about the NBA, it's like there's more blowouts this year, or everyone's scoring over 120 points every game. I was listening to the Athletic Hockey Show, and it was the episode with Sean McIndoe this week and um, Ian Mendez. Am I remembering that right? Mm-hmm. And they had yeah, they had Jesse Grager on. He's a lot of the Vegas stuff, and they're talking about betting odds, which I ha- I hate. Like, I'm throwing this out there. I hate how much betting odds have been talked about this year. I, I can't stand them. I don't know why. It's just it's just something <laughs> in my blood. I don't gamble. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Like, I'm a, I'm a straight-edge straight edge guy. I can't stand down gambling. And, like, want to hear about the over and that. I'm like, man, you can't argue about cross-checking in the face, but you can talk about over in the pregame. Like, I can't stand that. But they were talking about – if the over, if the odds favorite loses the first game of these back-to-backs, they've come back and just trounced the team in the second half of the night. And it was before the second Montreal game, and then what happened? 7-3 Montreal yeah. went over Vancouver. Um, it's been really, really interesting. Um, A hot hate, take from you. Keep it, keep it out, please. Like I, I can't stand gambling. I cannot stand uh, it. Especially I hope you know it's going to get worse. What about going all in at the deadline? Yeah, that I like. I, the oh. death is such a joke, but it's okay. Giving up picks for a good team is great, but then saying I'm going to go to this team just because the odds, especially in hockey, that is just such a crapshoot of a prediction. Yeah, that's what makes it fun. So the odds are ask not in Mike, their favor. Ask Mike. Oh yeah, because some of the uh, conversation we have with Mike about gambling is just so exciting. I know. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> telling you. There's an adrenaline rush here. I have a couple of friends who do it more often. I don't do it because it'd be an absolute mess for me. My but, only. Th- yeah, go on. I'm not. I'm just saying. I think for them, there's an address. I listen. I don't care. I'm just telling you, it's gonna get worse because this is just another way for the NHL to make money. My only address. I, I know you know that already, though. It's it's the thing of my head says I get it. My heart's like this is the worst thing right. ever, and I, I don't want to hear Elliot talking about his Cowboys bat on the broadcast. <laughs> well, you know, he's trying to diversify, talk about other aspects of his life outside of hockey. I don't want to hear like everyone just man. This is the big the big problem I have with pregame. And I was gonna yeah. bring up, you were mentioning Tim and Sid. Is there's there's character there. There's there's a discussion when pregame for the NHL. It's like Burke says, "All right, that's a clean hit." Why can someone just not challenge it? If I was there, I'd say Burke. No, it's not. Like I don't want to challenge Darren Burke. He's so nice to me taking a photo. I with th- me. I think there's a different. This is my. This is purely my opinion. I don't, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes of these, of these type of shows, but I think there's a different um, feeling when it comes to a pregame and like a Tim and Sid. Cause I think you're right. If he said that on Tim and Sid or the two on one podcast or hockey central at noon, 
in that order. Yeah, that's the order. I I, I think there would be more of a more of a conversation behind it. But I think because it's a TV production, I don't think they have the time to challenge it. I, if you just bring up the thing, like like I don't need to watch Sportsnet central i don't need to watch sports like i don't need to watch that like just give a few more time and just have a bit of just have a bit of color conversation you know what i mean like i know you mean nba i don't watch a lot of that stuff and sometimes i think it gets a bit too ridiculous but i would love to see a pre like that's why i love bxa because he brings in the personality i would just like you give him a bit more of a slot here you don't need to have a heart-wrenching, you know, feature about this person's childhood every week, every Saturday. It's a feature curse, by the way. The, the guy who has the feature always loses. It's a thing. I've noticed. Like, just like just have some debates or something. We need more of that. You know, it's just, I think it's a, it's a fair criticism. And it's just that and just keep gambling out of my sport, please. Or at least out of my breakdown. You know, if you want to have a segment that's the betting corner for a second, bring in Jesse Granger to talk about it. That's fine. That's what the Athletic did. They have a segment defended like once a week. But just keep it out of my general viewing. I don't like it. I don't yeah. care about the over. This is a game where we are full contact on sport with sword shoes. And we shoot a piece of rubber at people. And the goalie wears pillow pads. It is it's ridiculous. I know we get it. You don't. You don't get the thrill from it. We've been recording for like two hours. My only thrill is be- before we move on is well, this was before at the before time is bring outside food to the movie theater. I did it for the thrill. You're you're insane. Yeah, you what's wrong with this country? First, <laughs> first we're talking about uh, streaming. Now we're talking about bringing food into the move outside food from the movies. Are you trying to get our podcast taken down, Daniel? <laughs> I learned from my ways. Your own homemade popcorn. <laughs> um, it's funny. Um, I used to go to Dollarama because just um the movie theater I used to go to is uh at North York Center Station. Okay. So um, at that center, there's a Dollarama there, and everyone does this. <laughs> you buy the candy there, and then you go to the theater. I don't do that. You don't do that. No, well, an honest guy. The- I'm not a movie guy, so. No, no. Like, if you ever want candy, if I have a yeah. kid, like I want a chocolate bar when we're at the. We're at like a reunion store. I'm saying, buddy, that's seven fifty. We're gonna go buy the sixty nine cents one at the dollar store. Don't worry, buddy. We're gonna get there. Mm-hmm. Or Carlton yeah. Cinema, uh, near Ryerson. I used to bring shawarma in. I remember that. How? Okay, I'm very curious. I know we have to end the episode, but I'm yeah. very curious at how you snuck in shawarma into a movie theater. Okay, so like usually I go like where after did class. you put it? Like where did you put it? Oh, you went after class. There okay, so this is a thing for uh, people that uh, I actually haven't really talked about this on this hockey podcast. But when we were allowed to go to movie theaters, and Alex knows this, Adam knows this. You know, commuting during rush hour is horrible. Oh, so sometimes when I'm done class at like four o'clock or four thirty. I'll go watch a movie and then by the time I'm done, you know, it's time to go home. And like, it's perfect times like around seven, seven 30. Inviting your friends. That is actually this, one of the smartest things. Okay. We I've made heard. a plan though. Cause like, yeah, after you like hours of class, you're not gonna go and study right away. Like I, I'm too no. tired for that. I, I don't have the mental Last capacity. Labs, they were good, but it's like, I can't deal. Cause then you have, you have the 10 to 12 lecture, then the hour off for lunch and then the four or five hour lab. And you're like, I can't do this. Yeah. I, I I never I never thought about that Daniel, going to watch a movie, if there's rush I w- half my classes ended at rush hour. Yeah, 
Because I, so I can't smart. take it. I can't take it sometimes. The, if the, if the train. Imagine, imagine thinking about this during a pandemic, standing side by side, crammed into a subway car. I imagine, right, like for your shawarma, scary sight. If you have a plain bag and like you've got your backpack, you uh huh. Or like if you disguise it with like dollar store. I don't think they. Plus, like most no, no. students work at that. Yeah. So young Dundas. I doubt they're really. That's no, true. They're not gonna care. I, I just to think he's holding a shawarma bag and he's just walking in to the movie theater. Okay, sir, come right on in. It's technically they're not allowed to catch. Tat- they're not allowed to check your bag. You could be like, if you ask, if they ask you, like, is that outside food? You could be like, no, and then like, you're not allowed to okay. search. Yeah, that's fair. It's a random tangent we just had there about my thrills Daniel. of not gambling. Since you're already, since you don't gamble, do you want to end the show? All right. Well, guys, you know, we've been going for two hours now, and this has been fun. It has been. Yes. Um, Stand up. Sit down too long. As a reminder, please remember to check us out at any place you can find your podcast. Doesn't really matter. We just love that we are getting a bit more listeners now. Um, if you have the time and it compels you, please check Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. Tell us why you love the show, what you'd like to have here and there. Um, thank you to Voice Ed for always being a great platform for us. Remember to check out Adam's videos. When is the next one coming out? Uh, I, I decided that if there's a series of more than two games, I'm going to do a video at the end of them. So by the end of today, there will be the whole one on the Vancouver one. All right. So check out Adam's series video of the Canucks and the Habs. Check out Alex's blog and check me out on the eye opener, which has been confirmed. If you did not see that, please check our last episode. Also confirm that Carey Price is still the best goalie in the world. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And once again, Carey Price is the best goal in the world, according per, to friend of the show, Will Baldwin. Per anonymous source. Yes. Saturday night. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.